trying to be nice about, but the the D bag factor of the industry is high, right? Like there's, oh. <laughs> dude, it's uh, you know, I'll say this, and the people who listen to our podcast or, or you meet me in person, you come here, uh, it's sizzle and steak is what I call the internet of fitness, where. I'm not saying you have to, to look a certain way, but if you don't, no one stops scrolling and they don't see it. And so Instagram is a game and it's analytics. That's how, that's how we get paid. So if, if my stuff with the shirt on reaches a million people, but this shirtless bullshit with little shorts on reaches 9 million people, I'm going to do it. So the sizzle is like, they can see me shirtless and they click and they watch it. And the steak is the stuff that we give them once we're here, then we can actually help them and coach them. But uh, it's a really weird space, man. That is today's fitness life advice. Yes, Jeremy Scott, who has done really well and was a lot of fun to talk to. It was a great line there. We got Kevin O'Connor on the lottery in his latest mock draft. We'll talk some prospects and also fits for Ben Simmons and the Trey Young game against the Bucks. What happened? I'm going to go over every Trey attempt. I'll attempt to. I don't know if it's going to be worth listening to. It's next. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter-player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Okay, like I said at the top, excited about today's pod. I'm not sure I'm excited about today's open. I'm going to try. Uh, I wanted to do this with the Philadelphia game where they blew it to Atlanta and go over all of their offensive possessions in the fourth. And so, you know, I watched like all of you did. Trey went crazy again, 48 points. But I wanted to see what Milwaukee was doing right, what they were doing mostly wrong. So I went over every Trey attempt. So that's not every Trey possession. Um, This might not even work, but I'm selling the hell out of it right now. I'm going to try to go over and see how this how this plays out, Saruti, running through all of the tray possessions and how it was defended. There's a couple here or there that I'm just not going to include an offensive rebound or whatever a transition, but basically there's a theme here. So I will I've already watched it twice this morning, so I know what happened and what what did or didn't work, and I will try to go over the possessions in a way that makes sense. So you can look for this and see what adjustments are going to be made by Milwaukee because the biggest one has to be getting Brook Lopez off the floor. 
Um, it's a huge problem. And I'm not saying like, I don't like to go, Hey, Brooke Lopez, zero minutes, man, the rest of the series. Like that's not realistic. It's not going to happen. There could be a moment where Brooke Lopez is hurting Atlanta by stretching the floor and trying to open up, you know, Giannis that that's, that's the thing. I mean, there's usually a reason these coaches are not absolute morons, even though they get talked about like that, um, sometimes. So let's go game tips. First four possessions, high pick and roll for Trey against drop coverage. By Brooke Lopez. We know what drop is because literally everybody talks about it all the time where the center makes a decision. How does he want to handle the ball handler coming off that high screen? Does he want to meet him there? For a big guy who's a center, a guy like Brooke Lopez, it's just not going to work up there. So you want to stay back, protect the rim. The problem is Trey's as good at the floater game as anybody in the league. He's incredible. And what I thought was really interesting and a harbinger was that uh, we had the first high pick and roll and Trey ended up with Giannis on the other side. So he was like, all right, wait, that's not what I want. Let me reset this. He pulls it out and then resets it, gets the high pick and roll, drop coverage against Lopez, floater, beauty. Okay, boom. First four plays for Trey Young on attempts were against Lopez in drop coverage. The fourth floater, or excuse me, the fourth attempt, which was also a floater in this series to start the game, was so vicious because Trey's so quick, body control. Trey's so good at his body kind of like angling, veering off left to right of the rim and then still getting himself centered enough for the release. You know, some guys just don't even have that. Like they never figure that part out of their athleticism and Trey has all that stuff, all right? So then the first bad three of the game happened here for Trey and he actually had a lot of them, which is crazy because when you look at the highlights and the reaction and everything, we'll go through the bad threes as well. He got a switch against Middleton and I think because he was hitting some of those floaters, he's feeling himself a little bit. Let me take one of these threes and we know that Trey will have moments in games where he kind of just, not impatient, uh, which could happen, but he's just going to take some bad threes every now and then, which basically is every other really good scorer in the league too. So that's not specific to him. So it takes a bad three. Okay. Transition, fast break, gets a bucket. He got switched onto Giannis when they brought in Portis for Lopez. And then he was like, no, nope, I don't want that. Let me switch this back to Portis. And then a floater. Uh, no Lopez in the game again. Switches to Portis. Portis stayed up at the three-point line and then it still didn't work, and Trey got him with a floater. Um, they had another point where Portis was trying to stay with him, and they switched onto Pat Connaughton, and that was a weird three because he just was quick. He was really quick with it. You figure you get past the half-court line, and you're set up in the half-court offense at like 16, 17 seconds, and Trey was taking some threes there. Um, all the Pat Connaughton defensive assignments – Usually, we're just kind of a scramble and transition. Hey, this kind of happened over here. I don't know that Connaughton was by design the primary defender on Trey, except for maybe a couple. Um, I shouldn't, I would say on the shot attempts, it looked like it only happened by design one time. The rest of the time, it was scrambling. We're at 40 31. Lopez drop back in the game. Guess what happens? Floater bucket. Um, 40 <laughs> 40 33. Lopez actually kind of stays up. Trey hits a deep three. I didn't love the attempt, but he hit it. Then Teague was in there for some reason. Um, yep, Jeff Teague got some minutes to try to defend Trey, but you know you're going to get screened anyway. Um, they screen him, and then Trey hits another three against Lopez. Uh, he also had like two threes in a row here, but he had a couple screens where it was it was really telling in that Trey was was just feeling himself in a moment where he actually had a second screen because this came back later where it's that kind of staggered screen deal where you're like Chris Paul does it all the time. He'll go left to right 
and he'll have two screens waiting for him. And then there's kind of like a couple different things that you have to worry about. And Trey ended up burning Milwaukee on this play in the fourth with an amazing assist. But he had a couple screens and he just was like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Then he had another missed three. Then he had an ISO step back three against Connaughton. So we got like three happy here at the end of the first half. Um, and now we're talking about it's like 52-50. He had another, this kind of this double drag screen where he took a long two, which wasn't all that great. At 65-61, he gets uh, switched on to Lopez again, who drops. Um, it, then Trey had Drew, where he worked him behind the back. Lopez is so deep under the basket, protecting the rim. Another layup. It's tied at 67. Uh, he gets Middleton in a switch, kind of goes ISO three-pointer against him, misses. Uh, there was a Trey transition play. He missed the layup. Not a big deal. There was an offensive rebound where, remember, where he was baseline against Connaughton and he faked it around his back and then drove baseline for the layup. That made it 71-71. Transition floater miss, and that was a Connaughton assignment there. Okay, so l- let's get into where it really matters here because this is, this is important because it may be some kind of hope for Milwaukee. As we've run through all of this, we know what the main problem is, is that Lopez it was just – and as you saw as the close of the fourth quarter – the Bucks were like, all right, we don't think we can do this anymore. No Lopez at 81-73, so no Clint Capella. Collins screens, and it's Portis again, and Trey hits a floater on him. The shimmy three to make it 86-78. Drew actually just got lost, went the wrong direction on the screen, and Portis, I mean, you want to say he was late. The entire world was late. The guy had a time to shimmy his shoulder just a little bit there. So that three actually still, you know, Look, it's 8678. Um, in a drive where he went at Giannis at the five now, Collins sets the screen. Giannis is on Collins. So now it's Giannis Trey. And you could see as Trey drove at Giannis, not that he's afraid to, but it was a completely different challenge. You could see on some of these drives in the fourth quarter where it was against Giannis, where he felt like, okay, I have to account for the Giannis factor here because this is completely different than Lopez and Portis. And this is the thing that you have to start looking at if you're Milwaukee. Um, Trey comes back in 92-90 in the fourth. ISO versus Drew. He just beat him, but then in the traffic, another miss against Giannis. He got switched against Giannis. He waited, waited, wasn't sure quite what to do, was hoping for movement. That was another bad three, I think like the fourth of his game. I think you could argue he had five or six bad ones in the beginning, which is still, again, crazy at 48. And then at 446, they started bringing everybody up. So if Drew Holiday's the first uh, defender, Drew was picking him up past half court, right? Not full court, but he was picking up past half court. And then they were bringing the screen so high up that now you had three people on the front line of the defense from Milwaukee all waiting for Trey to kind of get filtered through these screens, but they were going to try to meet him up a lot higher. And this is like one of the other adjustments. It's Giannis at the five and it's okay. We got to meet him. Now, I don't know if you can do that for 48 minutes. It's kind of exhausting, but they're bringing everybody up. Drew's in the half court. He gets switched on a Pat Connaughton. Trey gets another switch, which again doesn't make a ton of sense because if you've got Connaughton there, then you would think you would want to bring the next screen down and get Giannis out of the play. So Atlanta is probably going to adjust that somewhat. Like, hey, why are we, when we get the bad matchup for Milwaukee, why are we then switching again a second time into Giannis? That's something that happened a couple different times. And Trey just kind of had like a weird stretch. He had taken a couple bad threes. He had had a turnover. And the funny thing is, after a, a timeout, a little bit later in the game at 105.98, where Milwaukee's winning, they ran something out of it where Trey didn't touch the basketball. And I didn't know if McMillan was going, hey, look, you know, let's let's get somebody else involved here. 
let's make sure we don't just turn this into you doing this, which I know no one's going to think like happened because everybody thinks I hate the guy, but it's not the case. It's just like telling you the entire story. Um, and I thought that was very revealing. So whatever. Um, Trey got a huge bucket. It ended up being this incredible run here by Atlanta. Collins hit a three. Trey got the and one against Drew where he dribbled into him left side. Um, he got switched on a P.J. Tucker a little bit later. It was probably the sixth bad three of the game. He got switched on Pat Connaughton again. Giannis is lurking. He's lurking. It's another three. Okay, now this was kind of the bucket that mattered. It's 111-110 Milwaukee. Reggie Miller says Trey can't beat Drew Holiday one-on-one, which I actually would push back on a little bit. Trey's going to get him sometimes, and sometimes Drew's going to hold up. But they're going to run screen action because it's not about not being able to beat Drew. It's about being able to beat up on Lopez and really even Porras, who should be more active. And that's going to be the biggest difference you're going to see in the game, too. You're going to see less Lopez. You're going to see more Giannis at the five. There's also some stuff with Giannis in the dunker role as the five, which I thought was kind of cool because instead of him having to bring the ball up in all that traffic, they have him coming off of something else. So if Drew can beat his man, which isn't going to be Trey, Trey's defending Connaughton, um, you you have a chance there for, for Giannis to do some stuff where he's not having to do everything on his own so far away from the basket. All right, so that's another aside here. But what's so interesting about this moment is Reggie says he can't beat Drew one-on-one. You get Trey going now off of this screen at Giannis. And Giannis is so afraid to foul Trey, he actually kind of curls up defensively instead of like he just wasn't ready to go up and contest, so he didn't know he was going to have the body control. And Trey is kind of accounting for Giannis, but Giannis just turns. Like Giannis doesn't go at him and swat it. He like turns to be like, I just, I don't want to touch you. I don't want to touch you. Trey misses the layup. Capella offensive rebound, 112, 111 Atlanta. And that was the biggest bucket. And the funny thing is, Trey, after he missed, because he slammed into Giannis and missed the layup, he flexed. He did an arm flex to the crowd. And we were like, wait, what? But Trey had 48. And he is a major, major problem. And he's a major problem for Milwaukee. Obviously, if Milwaukee is going to play this way, I don't want to say like, hey, if they don't switch it, because you know, one of the teams is going to be way better than the other team from three. And then we're going to act like all of these adjustments were made. And it may not even be any adjustments at all. It could just be that one team was way better from three point than anybody else was. Like, look at Phoenix and LA game two. I thought Phoenix was the better team the entire game, the entire game. And then when you looked at the three-point differential between the Clippers who were shooting it pretty well and the Suns who weren't, and then you had Booker who, I'm not even saying it was because of the broken nose. Clearly, he just wasn't the same guy offensively in game two that he was game one. And you're watching the score going, wait, this is a close game. How is it? Because I actually thought Phoenix played that much better than the Clippers did the entire time. So I still think the right team won in that game as they're up 2-0 and we wait for the return of Chris Paul. And I personally am waiting a little bit longer for the return of Kawhi because that one's uh, Paul information. You know, again, I'm not going to share it all because I don't know what's right or what's wrong about it all. Um, but it's it's been kind of all over the place with both of those guys. So, you know, enjoy game two, Milwaukee, Atlanta. We'll see what happens. Kevin O'Connor is the head of our draft coverage at The Ringer. Uh, you can also check him out, Chris Vernon, on The Mismatch. That's taped Tuesday, Thursday night, so it drops Wednesday, Friday mornings. Uh, NBA Ringer show as well with Kyle Mann, who's terrific. So all the stuff is up. We had the lottery this week, and you guys did a big lottery show uh, the night of, Kevin. So let's just start with Detroit at the pick. You know what? I'm going to present it this way. I mean, everybody's going to have Cade Cunningham going there. Were you certain Cade Cunningham was number one for everyone? Because I feel like he's talked about as if it's a no-brainer, and the closer we get to the lottery, 
again, I'm not saying Cade's not going number one, but I was a little surprised at some of the conversation of like, this is not a lock for every team that was in the mix. It's not a lock for every team. And with Cade Cunningham, I know Woj reported that he's taking one visit. That's to Detroit. And in all likelihood, Detroit will take Cade Cunningham. But for every team here, some teams have Evan Mobley number one. Some teams are talking about Jalen Green as a top pick of the draft. And didn't we just see this a couple of years ago, Ryan, right or wrong with Luca? Luca, what people talked about was, well, can he can he create off the dribble? Does he have the foot speed? Does he have the athleticism? You hear similar things being asked of Cade Cunningham, and he's not the same level prospect as Luca. He hasn't had the same level of success. Luca's been a professional since he was a little kid. So but the questions are the same here for Cade Cunningham, and there are some legitimate questions. He he does have to take a lot of difficult shots. His assist numbers were low, partially because his teammates, but those are some questions teams have, and that's like no knock against him necessarily. It's just about what Evan Mobley can bring with his versatility on both ends of the floor, where that could be a better fit and a better choice for some teams. With Detroit, I do think Cade should be the guy, though, there. Yeah, there's certainly thoughts on i mean you know fit i i kind of hate the fit need stuff when you're a bad team you know if you're a bad team you shouldn't be worrying about it so where there's some discussion or pushback on mobley to cleveland at two because they have jared allen who's terrific i think every team would want a jared allen and he's going to get paid but if you like mobley then go ahead or you know if you feel like okay we got to give sexton garland another year and it feels like the team likes garland more now than sexton um I, you know, again, disagree with me if you hear anything differently from what I'm saying. But then it's like, well, if we have this backcourt, then we can't take Jalen Green because of that. So I, yeah. I'm always of, of the mindset of I don't really care if, if you're like if you pick players and they're supposed to be starters in those positions. If your valuation is this is the guy, then take the guy, especially when your team's winning 20 games. When I think about fit, I mean, it partially has to do with the guys currently on your roster. But when I think about fit, I think about how does it fit into the vision I have for this roster, right? Like, do I want to draft another guard? And what does that mean for eventually having to part ways with one of them? You know, if you did draft Jalen Green for number three at Cleveland, if you do that, how does that influence the choices made with Garland or Sexton at some point to find another wing or another big at some point, right? So, because I, I mean, for Cleveland there, I would love the Evan Mobley selection like that would be a perfect fit next to jared allen what they could build there with those guards i'd love that but it can still work to your point ryan if 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 it comes down to it you know because on that draft show with bill simmons was and kyle i threw out the idea of cleveland at number three being a team that could trade down because of those fit issues you're talking about but ultimately if you feel jalen green is the best prospect in the draft and he's there at number three fit shouldn't matter at all it's not part of the equation. You just try to flip somebody else in that case. Um, but I do think fit for your long-term vision, that is something that matters uh, in terms of the selections you make on draft night. Yeah, Jalen is a really impressive physical specimen. I mean, he's yeah. just, his feet, his drives, um, I think the handles there needs to be a little bit tighter. Uh, of course, like any young kind of score first player that has the resume that he has, there's going to be moments where he's forcing it. There's going to be some turnovers. There's going to be some predetermined reads. I mean, I was watching a clip of him this morning for Ignite and, you know, he's he's a young player still figuring it out and he caught it like flat footed, no dribble, nothing. And his feet were on the three point line, like both feet were on the three point line and he just fired and you're just yeah. like, wait, what do you? So there's some of that in there, but 
when you're watching a college player, you know, like you and I, and we we're going through and, and looking at different, whatever program you use to watch tape of guys. And if you just kind of do like a, 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 a sort of like wide lens view of the game that you're watching, mm. and then you switch it on to some of the Ignite games, that level of competition is so much tougher oh, than yeah. I think people understand. And when you had the G League basically contracting this year because of all the, the details. Like when I watch Ignite games, I'm like, the competition here is so much better than the college games. And I'm talking even some of the Baylor and Gonzaga regular season and tournament games that I watched. It just stands out. It's, it's kind of that thing of like turning the channel immediately and now you're seeing something completely different. So in those frustrating moments for Jalen Green, part of the evaluation is realizing like, do you realize what he's doing in how bad he's making some adults look that have been playing yes. for a long time? And that's where I think you can talk yourself into Jalen Green and why I think there were a couple teams one in particular, but they're not sitting there at one, so it's not really relevant that may have taken him number one overall. It, and also the character aspect, too. You know, you talked to Jared Jack in your podcast recently and what he said about Jalen Green and his character, how he was seeking out information. He first came to him, you know, wanting to talk and learn stuff. I like it's cliche sounding stuff sometimes, but it checks out with what you hear from people around the league that this is a guy who wants to be really, really, really good. And isn't that important? Yeah, I, I appreciate you checking it out. I mean, he's listed. <laughs> you have him at 6'5", 165. That yeah, seems that, light. That, that, that weight might be off. I think it, we need an update, but we don't have a, an actual he looks official thicker measurement. Than, yeah, yeah, he, he looks thicker definitely. than 165. Yeah. But I'm I'm glad you listened because I thought, you know, look, Jared Jack was teammates with these guys. I like that we got a little Isaiah Todd and Nick's in there as well because I thought Isaiah Todd had some nice moments when I was watching some of those Ignite games even though I wasn't as focused on him yeah. uh, when I'm watching Kaminga and Green. But it was pretty clear he liked Green more than Kaminga. Did you did you pick up on that? No doubt about it, for sure. Like, it, everything he said about Jalen Green just struck me as very authentic. You know, like, this is real. This is real stories. He actually works with this kid, actually likes this kid, for sure. Okay, so your top picks here, you got Cade going one to Detroit. You have Mobley going two to Houston. And the reason I kind of skipped there to, to Cleveland with Jalen Green was just because I want to get some of the Jalen stuff in there. Um, Mobley's really impressive. I mean, he is he has all of the perimeter skills that you would want. I mean, look, it's not like he's going to put it on the floor at seven feet, start dribbling around like Kevin Durant. I'm not going that crazy with it. But when you look at Houston, that is the opposite of having some picks in place. You feel like you can't get in the way of, of um, you know, Kenyon Martin Jr. here. <laughs> <laughs> who had a nice year. Look, I'll, I'll put it that way. But like Houston, there's there's no one on the roster. I mean, I guess you could say Christian Wood. Um, but what did you what did you like about Mobley enough to put him at Houston ahead of everybody else? Because I think this is a bit of a departure from where we were in the process about a month ago. Sure. So with with Evan Mobley in the mock update that'll be out sometime on Thursday, we're going to shift Jalen Green to the spot and shift Mobley down to three at Cleveland. But, you know, initially having Mobley here, the logic on my end was just like a best player available mindset. Uh, I have Mobley a second on my board. Um, I think if you factor in how they're going to build this thing out, let's say Houston does take Mobley. There are some long-term issues with having him and Christian Wood in the front court together. The benefits are two highly skilled bigs. You know, Mobley can be versatile. He can protect the rim or defend on the perimeter. Offensively, he can space the floor out to three. He can do a little bit off the dribble for you. I think his passing and playmaking is way better than the numbers actually show. He's insanely talented. But when you have Christian Wood, who oftentimes gets bullied by bigger guys, Jokic's and Embiid's of the world, not saying a lot because those guys do it to everybody, but you do need to have some beef with your top guys. And Mobley 
and Wood, both of them are on the leaner side. So I could see Houston looking at this saying, well, take the scorer instead, take the Jalen Green or take the take the shot creator like a Jalen Suggs at that spot, or even considering a trade down for that matter, too. Uh, I, I, I think this is a year to really think about that for Houston at two or Cleveland at three, just because of uh, I really still like Suggs and Green at the three, four spot um, that you could get more assets because for Houston, do you, do you like the Mobley wood thing, you know, with what they could be together? Or do you also kind of feel that they should go with one of the guards? I think woods incredibly talented. We know the numbers. I think he's a tough guy to play with. I think he's a tough guy to have around. Uh, and Cause he's so lean. No, I just think he's, he's always, yeah, I think he's kind of a tough teammate. I see. I'm talking about like interesting, the locker room stuff doesn't get the ball enough, shaking his head in the timeout, making sure everybody knows that he's pissed. You know, that that kind of stuff. So I don't so know. In other words, you're flipping him if you're Houston. You're not thinking about changing the pick. If anything, no, you're flipping no. one to a team that could use him now. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. Right. You and get, I think he's. You get something good back for Christian Wood. Yeah. With that contract and you were oh, on yeah. it early. I mean, you were you were really on it. But I, I don't know that there's a pity party for any team when he's gone. All right. So I'll I'll just leave it at that. Um, you have Suggs fourth. Some people look at Suggs and go, "Why are you guys making this complicated?" He's <laughs> right. He's the guy that you go, "Okay, I don't have to worry about." Like with Mobley, I think you could say, "Hey, is he float a little?" Like I think it's kind of funny yeah. that his father's on the staff and his older brother, who I actually think will be a pro, um, he kind of has the personality of a younger brother throughout the game a little, which I know sounds weird, but I'm just telling you, like it's it's one of the things that I see. I don't want to call it too passive or apprehensive. I just think that you know, look. They're, they're, it's a really good program and, and, and feels a really good coach. But uh, there are times, and it happens with bigs. Like I worry about bigs sometimes because the old joke is none of the big guys actually like playing basketball. They're just huge. And that's not fair to say about all bigs, but we've heard it a bunch of different times. Where with Jalen Suggs, I know immediately I'm getting a guy that is completely locked in. He's going to fight his ass off. I think he shot it a little bit better for Gonzaga than they even thought. I think his year was even better, despite the recruiting rankings and all that stuff. I think they were even more impressed with him throughout the entire season. And he just has moments in games. And I've used this before, that, that Halliburton part, where when you watch Halliburton mm -hmm. in college, you're like, he's the only guy that even thought of this play. And the other nine guys are like, oh my God. <laughs> Suggs, Suggs has those moments, even though he's playing with some NBA guys. So, I, I think there's an attitude and a personality to Suggs that some people would look at it and and want to argue him a little bit higher, but that's kind of the NBA game. You look at Green's body and movement, and then you go, okay, I realize that Suggs is locked in and is more of a fighter, but I'm going to go with the upside of of the fluidity of of a guy like Jalen Green's game. For sure. It, though everything you just said, especially Halliburton, made me think about the conversation about Halliburton last year. People were talking about, including me, well, what level can he become as a shot creator? And over the course of the summer, you know, entering the season, he dramatically improved his handle, became a guy who could effectively hit some dribble jumper three-pointers. And now when you look at Halliburton, it's like, oh, maybe his upside is much higher than we would have expected or anticipated. With Jalen Suggs, when we talk about Jalen Green as the upside guy here, Suggs is still only 19. Does he have that up untapped higher ceiling as a player? Because I'm not sure I see it necessarily on the level of a Jalen Green. Um, but I'm curious, you know, if you see him as maybe a guy that could reach a higher level because, I mean, we've seen guys do that. When we expect them just to be very, very good, they become great. 
I'm I have more of an open mind about guys now because I just as we've said all year long, I think we have to be I'm trying to figure out how the best way to say it. But it's never been easier to score. This rookie class that we didn't have great hopes for ended up being a lot better and not just at the top. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really the problem. We get really excited about a draft because it's like, hey, who's good at the top? And this one at the top, we're like, we're not sure. And then, you know, between Edwards and, and LaMelo, it was terrific. And yeah. then there was all these other players that you're like, hey, how the hell does Sadiq, Sadiq Bay last that long? You know, and granted, it was a bad team. But hell, I mean, Sadiq Bay can do a lot of nice things offensively. Been playing the league a really long time. So I'm. this may sound stupid, but and maybe it's just this year because it was so ridiculous offensively. But I wonder if part of the evaluation for scores is that we have to accept that these guys are going to score. The transition to scoring in the NBA has become a little bit easier for mm. some of these players because like, you really think Jalen Suggs is going to find a way to get buckets? You know, so um, that's that's something mm. like I'm even doing it with Trey Mann at Florida, who oh, I, I like think him. you you have him a lot later now than I. Yeah, you have him going 24th. Yeah. And the mock six, I have him lower. Yeah. Yeah. And you have him a lot higher, I believe, on some of your big board stuff. Yeah. And at first when I watched him, I was like, ah, I don't know. You know, he kind of does his own thing. He's a really good rebounder. But the more I watched him, the more I started thinking about today's NBA, I go, you know, if he's six five and can shoot it like this in the NBA, and you're running all this high ball screen stuff for him, like why why couldn't it work out for him? Even if there's some other parts of his game that I don't like. So I know I took a long time explaining that, but there's it's not an epiphany, but it's me being a little bit easier on some of the evaluations for scores because I just wonder if you're big enough and you can shoot enough. Like you're, if you find the right fit, you're probably going to score in the league now, which I don't think I ever would have said for years. You you might be right about that, right? Or, I could it, still be wrong. Yeah, so, I, you totally. know, I'm just throwing it out there. No, I mean, I think you could be onto something there. What do we have? I think 44 guys or something like that that scored over 20 points per game this season. It's an outrageous amount. I mean, the, the level that players are scoring at. It, I wonder sometimes when I'm watching games, I ask myself, and I don't know the answer to this, is it more that players are just way more talented now, that they're doing more efficient things? Or is it like how much is it because of the rules? How much is it because of defense? I really think it's it's we also have a wave of just insane amount of talent here too. Uh, I think it's a talent thing almost more so than just what people are doing by taking more threes. Does that make sense? That it yeah. might just be a wave of talent. It could be. I mean, that's that's a pretty impressive wave though to get this many guys impacting yeah. teams offensively. Um, and I also think the way, you know, guys are figuring out the way the game's officiated, which I hope mm. the league, as they've stated when that oh, Woj piece, so. they're going to, like, if oh. you're an offensive player and you're allowed to just dribble into everybody and initiate every point of contact and you get called for it. So then it's like, how good, you know, <laughs> some of these guys, like, if you just figure Dude. out that part, you're going to get to the free throw line seven the, or eight times a game. The the NBA needs to, like, Adam Silver specifically, he, like, people, like, you and I, hardcore NBA fans, we watch and we love the game, but we deal with some of the bad stuff casual fans are going to tune out when they see stuff like that. You got to make the game appealing to everybody and removing some of these little crappy bump fouls when a guy's driving to the basket. It can't just be the Trey Young, James Harden style, you know, lean into somebody. It has to be some of these touch fouls. Make the game easier to officiate. Make it better to watch. I mean, uh, there's so many ways the game, which is already very good, could be way better than it is. The best way to fix it would be every time you dribble into somebody and you fall down and I don't actually see you get fouled, I'm just going to let you fall down for two weeks. Just let it play. Just yep. let them go. Right? All right. You D- fell down. Cool. 
you whipped it, you whipped the ball in the air, you dribbled right into somebody and whipped the yep. ball in the air. I mean, look, Trey had one of those last night in a huge possession, dribbled right into Drew, you know, then then jerks his head back <laughs> to the left and he yeah. figured it out and good for Trey. But if everybody can get those calls all the time, it's it's not a great product. I mean, you already eliminate all the freedom of movement stuff. I never thought I would ever say this. I hate charges. Thank God for charges. Because if there weren't charges, <laughs> yeah. seriously, if there weren't charges, then, yeah. then, you know, forget it. Okay, let's let's hit on a few other guys here because I'd say it's probably still a little early in the rumor season to feel like, do you have a couple that you feel great as far as players assigned to a team now that we have the lottery order? Definitely too early right now. Yeah, uh, okay. definitely too early. Okay, Kaminga, he's always in the top five. People seem to be all over the place with him. Yeah, very much so. I mean, number five, like you often hear, is the consensus top five. I'm not so sure Kaminga is a consensus top five from the people I talk to. Like, there's a lot of people who are very high on him, view him as maybe the fourth best prospect, even because of his size, six foot eight. He can theoretically become a go to scorer for you. He's fluid, he can create space with size and strength. But the people who are skeptics of him, and like I think that to reference that Jared Jack conversation, there's some skepticism about the feel for the game and the the work and all that. So if with Kaminga, there's other options in this draft who have upside, like Keon Johnson from Tennessee, Davion Mitchell, even though he's a junior, 22 years old, the way he popped as an upperclassman has teams very intrigued. Scotty Barnes out of Florida State. It's not like there's other raw players who don't have upside. So a lot of teams and executives that I talk to prefer some of those names that I mentioned ahead of Kaminga. And I don't think it's a guarantee that we see Kaminga in the top five. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. The other thing too that I do love about this draft is when you start going through the top 10 to 20 guys, I swear you're like at 12 or 13. You're like, this draft is huge. Mm. Big wings. You know, big, I love Scotty Barnes, and now he's kind of the pre-draft darling where now he's the riser in all this. You seem to be resisting it a bit more than than everybody else is. But I love Scotty Barnes because of the size and how smart he is, knowing that if he can't shoot in the NBA, then I'm going to end up being wrong. Like, I feel smart about being like, hey, everybody's catching up to Scotty Barnes' momentum. It doesn't mean I'm going to be right about the player because he's just not a good enough shooter right now. So I'm projecting a bit. Um, if you don't like a player, you would say, oh, Scotty Barnes, I don't really like him. The guy can't shoot. The Davion stuff, um, I fell in love with him that Villanova game. The Villanova game, he completely changed that game in a span of two or three minutes defensively. And I was like, don't ever forget this because he's 22. Now, history tells us, don't draft the old guy. Right. That's where you screw yeah. up when you draft the old guy. Uh, that's somebody you have seven at Golden State, who I imagine not only are you you're breaking the exception of the older thing, but like, do you have concerns about Davian? Like, I just would like to know if there's a couple guys here where you, you have them in the lottery, but, you know, like in three years, you're going to go. Ah, I wish <laughs> I, I mean, that's that's all of us with anyone yeah. that puts time into this. But is he one of the guys that you have reservations about, even though everything we saw throughout his college season was incredible? Only if that's an outlier year as a shooter. That's it. I mean, because the improvement for him is a three-point shooter, 31% over his first two seasons at Baylor, and then 45% as a junior. Where is the reality between those two numbers, 31 and 45? If he's somewhere in the middle, 37, 38%, I'm happy. This guy's going to be a 10-year pro. I don't care that he's six feet tall. He plays bigger than he's listed, right? You like you mentioned that defensive impact on that Nova game. It's ridiculous what he can do on the defensive end of the floor. The size, I'm not worried about. It's really just a matter 
of the jumper. But I mean, I, I think like if Golden State or somebody were to draft him, he's one of those guys that could come in right away and make an impact and still retain higher upside. It's some of the other guys like Keon Johnson from Tennessee. He didn't start playing basketball full time until high school. It shows in his game. Super raw, great athlete. He can create a little bit off the dribble for you. But how many times have we said this about players? He's so raw. He's going to improve his jumper, has to improve his handle. And then they don't turn into anything or they're just like a, you know, a Dion Waiters style spark plug here and there off the bench, you know, in and out of the league. So that I have concerns about somebody like that, but sometimes you want to take a big swing and you're willing to absorb risk, right? I mean, that's part of the draft. It's about certainty versus upside. And Keon Johnson is one of those guys that even if you have him ranked higher, you might be a team that's just willing to absorb that risk with your evaluation compared to some of the more certain players like a Mitchell, at least in my opinion, Mitchell's more certain. Mitchell's more certain than Keon Johnson, but you have Johnson going six to Oklahoma city here. End to end Keon Johnson, you're going to fall in love with him. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And then he just set the combine record for Burt. So you're like, okay, so (laughs) he can leap, man. I mean, his athleticism (laughs) part checks out. If the skills catch up, I mean, he could be nasty, dude. Like, couldn't he be the steal of the draft as well? Here's, here's what could happen here. If he is as good defensively as I saw his effort defensively, do you see what I'm saying? Like, where are you with him as a defender right now? I mean, if you're drafted for a guy with level of certainty in the defensive end of the floor, it's not going to be Keon Johnson because of the rawness right. on that end. Um, but ultimately, again, like it. So this is I think this is the thing about fit. It, how do you expect him to grow and how will he develop with your circumstance, with the environment you have around him, coaching influences, teammate influences, like the character aspect matters so much here, right? With the evaluation of the younger raw players, like how hard will they work at getting better at these things? But yeah, right now on the defensive end, I see a lot of potential. Um, no doubt about that. Like he can really grind on that end of the floor. Still hanging in there with Jalen Johnson, huh? To do. He might've been one of my least favorite guys to break down. I'm not the biggest fan. I believe I have him ranked uh, like 11th, 12 or 13th, something like that. Yeah. You have him 11th to the Hornets. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, it's like just a reference to Keon Johnson. Like, with Keon Johnson, you can see the activity. You can see the effort, right? Like, all of that is there. You can see Keon's the potential. like a bigger Jalen. Like, look, he's not offensively. Yeah. Um, I mean, even Jalen has some stuff offensively. You want, But Keon is the same kind of guy as far as, like, all right, you know, you're rolling out there five on five. Like, you'd want a guy like He'll that play. on your side. Right? Yes. Jalen... Johnson, however, I'd be like, hey, you are exactly. you exactly you know if we lose, we don't get to stay on. No, no doubt about it. It's 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 the type of thing where you can see it with Keon Johnson, with with Jalen Johnson. It's more theoretical. It's like, oh, you have the six, six, eight, six, nine, long forward, potential elite defensive versatility against guards and wings. He's quick. He's strong. He shot what, like 44% but, from uh, three yeah. this year, too. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, like the numbers, it's all great. But then the inconsistency when you really watch, there's stretches of the games where he's just not there. And anytime you see that, you worry, right? And the fact, like, there's already the concerns about the character aspect with him, um, leaving Duke, leaving IMG. With Jalen Johnson, there's so much more risk that you're taking on, even more so than Keon Johnson. Because with Keon Johnson, at least you can see it on defense. Even if there's some raw habits, at least you can see the potential with what he can be when everything's clicking. Uh, give me another guy that you really like. Another guy in the lottery. We mentioned Scotty ba- Scotty Barnes already. How about Alperen Sengun? How much have you watched him? The Turkish big man, one MVP. A lot. 
Biggest yeah. complainer you, in the draft. <laughs> Biggest complainer of anyone. Uh, I asked a scout about him, and I said, what's up with this Alperin guy? Because he is old school, man. Yeah, I mean, is. he is. he's incredibly skilled for a big man. Can't shoot it. But the way he plays, you'd never be asking to shoot it, at least where, when I saw him. Um, well, he's, he's Turkish, moves, right? Man. Post moves yeah, for Turkish, days. Yeah, yeah oh, I yeah. mean, he could have like a 1980s VHS <laughs> post move tape coming out. But that yeah. fucking guy I, complained. I like a, grain, a grain filter to the video, right? <laughs> but I asked somebody, I go, what's his story? And they go, think about it. The, the guys that he grew up watching are, are like Doncic. And I go, okay, but it's not like there's that much of an age gap. But like there was an excuse <laughs> for why he complained so much because every time, and I liked him, I liked him, but there's certain players you watch over time and you're like, oh my God, this guy, he's never gotten a call in his life. Yeah, right. <laughs> It's really funny, but he's good. Him. He is good. So uh, yeah. I don't want to be. T- yeah. I'm already he, sounding too good. negative and, and taken away. And from. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what. I think I think there's shooting potential with him too. He had like this nasty step back three pointer. He has good touch, good touch on floaters. He's got some feel. I mean, I I believe over the course of time maybe he could develop a shot and be more than just a a low post big man. But I love his effort. I love the intensity. The complaint. I like his passing. Yeah. Oh, the passing is so nice. Uh, I I think the habits and like as he matures as a player and maybe complains less though com- though some players as they get in the league they just complain more because <laughs> it gets rewarded it's incentivized to complain in the NBA but uh, with uh, Sengun I, I I'm I'm really a fan of him and, and think he could be a steal in the mid late lottery. Okay, let's stay international then. Josh Giddy, um, a little pistol Pete ish, but I don't want to be offensive to pistol Pete because he's like this. <laughs> This guy who's just out there and he's just dribbling through everybody. He's doing all this stuff. Here's the deal. He's he's huge. Yeah. And six eight. I don't know what the numbers are. I gotta check it out. And maybe I have just haven't seen enough. But I swear every time he got an angle and had a driving lane, he couldn't finish. He didn't finish. It didn't feel like he finished consistently enough at the rim for all the other stuff that really looked really good. So he's kind of this huge playmaking. He's 18. The shot wasn't bad. It just he wasn't hitting it enough. But for 18 in size, I get the projection. But that seemed to stand out where I felt like, is he finishing enough at the... He's getting there, but is he is he making it worth the effort? It, with him, I'm interested in your thoughts on this because like, no doubt the finishing is inconsistent, but I liked how he tried to finish with feel, with craft. I think he understands that he's not going to be somebody who, like, he wasn't trying to dunk on people, right? No, he wasn't. He, he, he would go for these skill finishes, and I think if you're a guy who's either not a great athlete or you're just an under-the-rim player, like a six-foot guard, which he's not, he's 6'8", but if you're that player, you have to know and show a willingness and, and a desire to finish like that, and I think he does. Like He uses a lot of floaters, but on the other hand, I say all that, a lot of those guys never become efficient finishers around the rim. They're just taking floaters. It's like a 40% shot for some guys at best. So it's very possible that he'll always be limited as a finisher around the rim. But I don't know. I like the fact that he at least tries some of those shots. And at 18 years old, maybe he develops it over the course of time because the passing is ridiculous. That can carry him for a long time at the least. That was one of the things that I I really liked about Kyra Lewis last year in the draft evaluation for him was that I was like, wait, this guy's not huge, but he's finishing. He's finishing at the rim. And that's like one of the first things that jumps out at me. And honestly, it should be a little bit easier now in the NBA because of the spacing. You know, back 15 years ago, I'll just never forget like Telfair 
like you wanted it to work. It was cool. It was fun. And then you're like, he just can't finish at the rim, man. Like he can't finish at the rim. It's a big thing. No doubt. Like with Giddy, I mean, uh, do you worry about his potential NBA success for that reason? Yeah. But I also think he's like a, he's, he's like a play to play. If you do like a clip sword on him, you would watch him and go, oh my God, how come this guy's not going top five? He's six, Mm -hmm. eight. Like, look how fluid he is. He's very comfortable. I mean, he's 18 out there with these grown men and he's just kind of like, you know, he's very, he's not, it, it, all, everything that's going on around him, he doesn't look intimidated. He doesn't, none of that stuff matters. Like, I think he has, right, isn't his dad like a long-term pro and all that kind of stuff too? So I feel like he grew up with it and everything. Um, couple other guys I want to just hit on. Kai Jones, if you haven't watched him play, you'd be like, why is he going 16? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know with him. I was kind of all over the place. I think Zyra Williams out of Stanford's another guy where I was like, I mean, God, this draft is huge as I'm sorting through all these guys. Um, and then there's Book Knight, who you have going 19th to the Knicks. I think the mocks always have him. Every time I talk with somebody about Book Knight out of UConn, they always love him. Yeah. So, Give me, give me book night. Let's just finish on those three guys because go in any order you want. Because Kai is so huge at Texas, I probably didn't like him at first. The more I watched him, I liked him a little bit better. But I, I have to admit, the first impression part was I need to see more, and I just didn't see enough of him at Texas. Yeah, with, with Kai Jones, it's like the strengths are just ridiculous. At six ten, with the shooting ability, he can do some stuff off the dribble, even. Like, it's so fun to watch that guy when he's on, but he doesn't really pass too much. He doesn't read the floor that well. You know, the shooting is inconsistent. The defense needs to get so much better. He has mobility, but he's not able to read the floor. It's like just these two extremes with him, you know, from the strengths to the weaknesses aspect that I'm not sure what to expect. I'm really not sure what to expect with Kai Jones, but I sure know that he's a guy I'd love to take a chance with. If I feel like we can develop him as an organization, bringing him in, the upside for him is ridiculous. But like you said, like all of these guys, Zaire Williamson, uh, Zaire, like with size that he has coming out of Stanford, Zaire Williams, he could be a go-to scoring type, but it's the same questions. Well, the feel for the game, the shooting ability. And with Book Knight, a little bit different as a guard, but um, it, he's, he's odd because like you said, a lot of people around the NBA love him. They love the elite athleticism and the intensity and the defensive ability that he could have as a player. Do you think, do I have him ranked too low? I think I have him 20 on my board. Is that too low? You know, look, I don't talk to every single scout. We know that it doesn't, it doesn't work that way in this business. It just seems like very consistently out. You know, you're just bullshitting about players. I haven't had one guy go, Hey, book night. He's not for me. Every time book nights brought up, it's like, you know who I really like? Like I like book night or I'll hear a guy say like, I just, I just love him, and I, I bring him up too much around the rest of the staff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I go okay. Uh, give me, uh, you know what? I think that's good. I think that's good. I think we did just sort of an intro to this because the rumor part of it isn't isn't all that great. But this is a very deep first round, a very deep first round for sure. There's there's a lot of talent this year, Ryan. I mean, uh, I don't know, I don't know if it's going to be looking like the 2018 draft. That's for sure with how loaded that's looking right now. But um, there's a lot of good talent. I think that could help teams right away, like Cameron Thomas. Another guy from LSU. LSU, yeah. Get, get, get a bucket off the bench for you. There's a lot of those types of guys. Cameron Thomas, very high in the confidence meter. Oh, yeah. 
we'll elite. That. Yeah, elite, elite, elite yeah. level comp. Right. I do think that if you were to, I always like this exercise. If you could pick one player, if you just made a YouTube kind of like an N1 mixtape of that you would think would go number one <laughs> just based on the best, it might be Kai Jones. Yeah. <laughs> if you said, just give me the best be. stuff in a two yeah. minute deal, I'll have a little Busta Rhymes underneath it. Like who would look the best <laughs> in those two minutes? Yeah. If you only did the best stuff they've ever done, it might be Kai Jones out of Texas. I, I think you might be right. Like, like the top, like if you have the top 15 clips for every prospect, the Kai Jones reel, that would get like 100,000 views, you know, a Thon Maker level hype. It'd be insane. No, that's a really good point. Because, yeah. you know, look, I, I don't expect most people to put the amount of work in that you're putting in. But if Kai Jones goes like 15, 16, 17, whichever fan base, when they see the highlight clips, oh, they're going to yeah. be at a home on draft <laughs> night going, wait, we got, we got him 17? How did that happen? This guy? Yeah. And guess guy. what? Maybe as we've been told and taught every single year, maybe it all comes together and works out for him. It, so it very well could. That's, like that's what I would finish on. I okay. am very open to the idea that the best player from this draft is, is like, look, I like Cade Cunningham a lot. Uh, I like... It's not just there's some moments in the tournament, the Big 12 tournament games. He had some moments where he was completely in control of the game. It was him, his game. He was making every decision. He was making the right decision. Those are the things that aren't the clips, the full game view of a Cade Cunningham when he's right. And you see it. I, I think it's it's really he had a run there for a couple of weeks in Big 12 play that I think is why most teams would have him won. Even when we start the podcast saying, you know, it's not certainty, but I'm very open to the idea. The best player is not the guy that goes number one. I just don't know who it's going to be. Absolutely. You know, this year has years those later. types of guys. I'm with you, Ryan. Last thought with uh, Kevin here. Ben Simmons fits. Uh, this was a rough, as I said on my podcast on Tuesday, a rough 24 hours on social media for Ben Simmons. I would say it was about as rough as I think I've, I've ever seen for yeah. a player for just a game. But there is a market for him. And there, the market will grow. It, it will be stronger. I don't know if Daryl... You no, know, this is, I think, Daryl 101 right now telling everybody, hey, we, we'd like to make this work. I'm sure he's telling Doc Rivers, mm. your message needs to be, we're going to make it work with Ben. All right. Not that we're giving this guy away. It's a strategy. But if he were traded, a couple of the teams that, that come up all the time, like Portland comes up all the time because of CJ column and everybody yeah. wanted to break that up because it hasn't worked. Would Ben make sense because now you're taking Lillard away from the basketball? Not all the time, but some of the time. Because it's not like Ben spaces the floor for you. Um, yeah, I think I think he would make sense for Portland because he'd mostly be taking the ball away in transition. And that could help alleviate some pressure off of Damian Lower to have to create, you know, in those early offense sets. But for it to work, it could make sense for him to be an outlet. We saw in the playoffs, not this not just this year, the entire season past playoff runs with Portland, he's gonna get blitzed and trapped a lot. And oftentimes he wouldn't have an outlet, a guy that, that a team would worry about in the open floor creating or scoring. I think if Ben Simmons in Portland were to a, to fully embrace being like a Draymond style player, he could really thrive. And that that's how he could create in those half court sets. If he's that threat as an outlet for Demian Lode in the pick and roll to give the ball to short roll, picking apart the defense or driving to the rim. I think the balance could work there in a playoff setting. Absolutely. And I don't think he'd he'd have to be, and I don't think he should be the primary guy. That's Damian Lode, and it should stay that way if it were to happen. What do you think of the package of 714 and Wiggins from Golden State for Simmons? Now, my first reservation when I thought about it was, could you really have Draymond and Simmons play together? Because 
you know, it always scared me when I saw Houston defend Durant, Clay, and Curry with five guys in the playoffs. They just said, screw it. We're not going to guard the other two guys. And it almost worked. Yeah. Um, if you had Clay and Steph, you'd need some kind of third score that you felt really good about. The only way I could argue is you'd feel like price-wise, hey, we got off a of Wiggins contract. Ben's contract's rough, 147 of the next four. But it might be the perfect transition of a year with him and Draymond together. And then maybe it's a Draymond move a little bit later on. And now Ben Simmons is your switching four or five. And it doesn't matter that he doesn't really hurt you offensively as far as spacing the floor. That's where it might make sense. But with Draymond and Simmons on the floor closing playoff games together, that's where it scares me. I think I think you nailed it there. I mean, it sort of touches on what we mentioned earlier with the idea of fit, you know, with how you want to build out your team. If the plan in terms of fit is about like a three, five year plan, at some point you're moving Draymond. Perfect. Like it makes total sense. But like right now in a playoff setting, having Ben Simmons, no guarantee he'll improve his jump shot. Draymond Green does not shoot well, has never shot well besides the one season. I don't I don't love the idea of how teams are going to defend that if you're Golden State. I would worry significantly about the lack of spacing that you would have. Um I think Draymond and and Simmons would kind of cancel each other out. You know, I just mentioned how Simmons could help Damian Lillard on the short roll. You can't have Draymond doing that and then Ben Simmons like standing, you know, near the rim or vice versa. Uh, like nobody th- is threatened by either of those guys behind the arc. So, I like the idea of it for like the next 3 to 5 years. But I don't like the idea of it for just this coming season. And that's a difficult balance here for the Warriors, whether or not they keep those picks. I mean, like that it's gonna be really interesting to see what they do. Yeah, they can't just trade him because it makes sense. Hey, we gotta go ahead yeah. and trade these guys for vets. Which vets are available, which ones make sense. And then you still have the Wiseman piece, who I still have high hopes for. I, I just do. I think he was held to a different standard as a rookie. Um, and it was hard for him because it was a team that had kind of uh an acceptance level of things that other teams wouldn't have because they just weren't very good teams. So uh, we'll see. But I wouldn't mention Wiseman in any kind of deal with Philly because it just doesn't make any sense yeah. for them to have him be. Is there one other one before I let you go? Is there another one that you're like, hey, this is one I kind of, is you're screwing around thinking about potential fits for Simmons somewhere else? How about, uh, I don't think Chicago can pull it off. Uh, but I, I love I love the idea of Chicago on paper before the lottery. I love that. I, I like the idea as well as Charlotte. <laughs> I'd love to see Lamelo and Simmons. That would be very exciting to watch. Again, not sure if they can pull it off or have the pieces to pull it off. But if we're speaking theoreticals, um, those are two teams with lottery picks that stand out to me. But like part of it is where does Ben Simmons want to go? Where would Clutch be willing to let him go? Like Cleveland theoretically could say, hey, we'll pair him with. You know, Colin Sexton or Darius Garland, it could work great. Does he want to go to Cleveland? I, I don't know that the answer to that yet. I wonder how long his list is in terms of teams that he'd be willing to go to. And even though he signed and commit to long term, like the team would have to factor that in as well. That makes it tough. Yeah, it does. It does. And, you know, if there's one thing that I'm looking at, if I'm Philly, is like I need somebody that can create a little bit on his own. And Seth Curry is terrific. There's more to his game than just shooting, but you need kind of a decent-sized guard that can drive on the opposite side of Embiid and make you pay a little bit. And that's, I think, the biggest prop. Like, we've been over it all. We've all said this stuff for years now. But watching them against Atlanta, it's like, you know, it's crazy. Is you know, Tobias Harris can't really put it on the floor for you consistently and get to the hoop. Ben Simmons can't because nobody has to play him up tight. Seth, who I really like, 
isn't really that guy. I mean, Maxi's like their best hope as a, a shot creating ball handler. And that's just a little bit too much for a guy uh, to ask Maxi to get you out of the East. All right. Again, check out all the draft coverage. The Ringers draft guy, Kevin O'Connor, and the mismatch. It tapes Tuesday, Thursday nights out Wednesday and Friday morning. Thanks as always, man. Thank you, Ryan. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am super jacked. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. As promised, another fitness life advice. Uh, and this is a guy I'm a huge fan of, uh, Jeremy Scott Fitness. You can follow him on Instagram at Jeremy Scott Fitness. And I think I came across a couple of his workouts when I was searching for something. You know, all of us guys that are plateauing out there. That um, was the superhero workout. And the promotion part of it's been great, Jeremy. And these workouts are absolute ass kickers with the five-minute bicep routine followed by kind of the, the stuff at the end and then the tricep one. And the TRX, I always feel like an idiot on. I just feel like I never quite do it right. But let's talk about you. Um, where are you from? How did you get your start? How did this whole thing start for you? Uh, you know, long story short, uh, I'm from the Midwest originally, Minnesota, uh, born and raised. And like most kids, played sports pretty much all my life, high school, um, through college, played college basketball, uh, at a small school, like a lot of, like a lot of dudes like me. And then, uh, I actually did a, my GA, uh, strength and conditioning kind of in that same small circuit, uh, of college basketball. And you have a choice to make in, in that part of life. Like if you want to coach, it's, it's a different kind of grind. You're staying in different cities. You're kind of working your way up the ladder. It wasn't the lifestyle uh, I wanted. And basically just being at the time, 23, 24, I have no real skills. I basically suck uh, at everything. And I'm in the life cycle where like 07, 08 happens. The world's melting down. No one's hiring anybody. I show up to enterprise. And, like, I don't want to work here, obviously. Um, but they think I suck so bad they don't want to hire me. And that's the boat I'm obviously in at the time. So I a buddy living out here in Scottsdale, Phoenix, uh, called me. I think it was like May 17th in, uh, in Minnesota. And it was snowing. And I was just like, I've had it with this shit. And uh, I said, let me save a couple bucks up because I'm dead broke. I have no money. I packed up my car with everything I had. Uh, I drove out here, never been here, sight unseen, and uh, had like one real job. I was an academic advisor for uh, military students for probably like a year and a half. And most of that time, my boss was super cool. He let me kind of build my fitness website up through there. I'm, I already looked the part. I just don't know anything. So I'm, I'm ripped, but I'm a dumbass. And so I took the time to, to study and, uh, and figure it out. And I basically one day just left corporate America. Uh, to start this business that we've been doing, you know, solo for the last 11 years. And uh, I mean, I had no clients, no money, no resources. I would never tell anybody to do that. It worked out for me because uh, I'm crazy and I'll work 100 hours a week to, to make it happen. And that's kind of what's put me in this uh, in this boat today. I'll, I'll give you this too. Like there's some other guys that I'll, I'll check out a workout or whatever, but it's, it's a trying to be nice about, but the, the D-bag factor of the industry is high, right? Like there's... Oh. <laughs> dude it's uh you know i'll say this and the people who listen to our podcast or, or you meet me in person you come here uh it's sizzle and steak is what i call the internet of fitness where i'm not saying you have to, to look a certain way but if you don't no one stops scrolling and they don't see it and so instagram is a game in, in reality and we know and this comes from like men's health which we've done a lot of work with over the years i love those guys and it's analytics. That's how that's how we get paid. So if if my stuff with the shirt on reaches a million people, but this 
shirtless bullshit with little shorts on reaches 9 million people, I'm going to do it. And that's what we've, we've had to basically do on the internet. And I joke because my wife and I, we sit here and I'm, you know, I'm going to be 38 years old this year. And she films a lot of our like IG stuff. We have a camera crew who films most of our programs. And I joke with her, I go, could you imagine when you met me? Like, this is the shit that you would be doing. And like, I got, my best friend has four kids. He's like a real adult. I'm in here, like wearing little red shorts, doing workouts with like a tan on and like the sun is shining on me. And that's all cool, but it's not who I am. But if I don't do that, nobody knows how good we are. And so the sizzle is like, they can see me shirtless and they click and they watch it. And the steak is the stuff that we give them once we're here, then we can actually help them and coach them. But, uh, it's a really weird space, man. There's a lot of things that I don't, I love fitness and it's, it's made me a lot of money and I've been able to travel the world and meet super cool people. But there definitely is a lot of things I wish would go away about it. Like the half being half naked most of the time is not my personality, but yeah, but I wasn't, I wasn't even talking about like your approach to it. I think immediately when I would watch your videos, I'd be like, okay, I can tell he's from the Midwest, like his personality and not just the, the accent or whatever, but and I'm not even I'm not even knocking some of the guys out here in LA that I'll I'll look at some of their videos, but I'll just be like, okay, dude, you know. And we always make jokes about like, oh, sweet, another personal record and deadlift, you know. And you're like, awesome. Make sure you get that post up. And I also know that those are the rules. Like in my business, I should have done a better job over the years of like saying more outlandish shit. I just could never do it. But if I had said more stuff, like every six months, like there's another guy I used to work with who would be like. You know, every four months, every six months, like you want to say something that all the blogs are like, that guy's an asshole for saying this. Like you should just do it to get that kind of attention. And I, and it's, it's, look, it's a different industry, but it's the same set of rules. And I never, when I, whenever I watch any of your stuff, I'd be like, oh, this guy's like normal. So I don't even blame the guys that were, were kind of like, hey, I'd probably never want to hang out with this dude, but I got the game. Well, you know, we try to do, and I, I talked with a, a buddy of mine who's been in the space for a lot. I mean, if you've been in fitness for over 10 years, I'll give you credit that you haven't been jaded by everything that goes on. And so I've been in it a long time before Instagram, before Facebook. Like I like to say the real, the real fitness people, the ones who did it before you could even make any real money. When we share stuff, we try to do things that are going to help other people, not to stroke my ego. Like I don't need to see myself working out. I know what exercise looks like, but we do it for the end user. Me sharing you know, myself deadlifting 600 pounds doesn't benefit you guys because that's not what you should be doing and it's not important. So we try to give people as much value as we can out of stuff where a lot of people in our space, it's almost like a flex contest. Like how, here's how strong I am. Here's how fit I am. And it could come off that way. But that's not the important part. It's like, if you can watch our stuff, yeah, I may be shirtless and look like an idiot. I go, but if you can take something from it, like that's the key, like you can regress it, progress it. So we try to actually coach through the platform and not just have it be my personal highlight reel because that's not what we're there for. But a lot of fitness, uh, sadly, is that. But you were talking about like the the rules of the math on it too. Like I love the men's health stuff. Like I just think they do a very good job of going. If we put these taglines in there or title it this way, they are they are on it, man. Because some places there are these big brands. You're like, how could you guys have still not figured out like the way to get any kind of interaction? But when you posted. Was it the super get Jack like a superhero, which you probably cringed a little bit about, but those workouts are incredible. I didn't click on it because it was, oh, cool. I want to look like Wolverine, which wouldn't be terrible, but because I'd known your work at that point, but those workouts are ass kickers, but they're actually great. Like you feel different after them, but you also have to have a little bit of a foundation of working out. You would not want to just jump right into those because you'd be tearing off ligaments. Yeah, that's, they're not, uh, that program, what do we call it? And that, 
again, like I, I it wasn't your it, title. I know, I know, because I no, can tell. It's I, like, a, do you want me to find like vi- it? It's uh, it's like a video game, right? Like that's how right. we d- design these workouts, where it's like sometimes you can beat them and, and sometimes you can't. I think we called it Action Hero Jack, something like that. And they always add the clips like, "Oh, look like Bruce Willis," which I already do, uh, or "Look like whoever it may be." It's uh, we have to game it, right? Like we'll do it here in house. Like my wife and I'll joke of like body weight blitz. Like I'm just making up shit as we throw it on the workouts, but it's catchy. It gets people involved. And it, it, that's the whole key. If they can stop, scroll, read it, and then we can help them once they're there. Yeah. That's what it was. It was action hero jacked. Um, good, good recall it's great, it's great there. program. Yeah. No, I, I love it. I I'll admit if, if I haven't done it in a long time, I don't go the full five minutes on the tricep pull downs at, at the end. Cause then I still know I have the dumbbell 10 by 10 thing. So oh, yeah, that's, like, it's, it's murder for sure. Yeah. I, I'll admit the first, I didn't want to lie to you today. So the first time I got back into it, I stopped at three minutes. Okay. All right. So here we go. Uh, I've sent Jeremy these questions ahead of time. I guess we appreciate so many of you that sent in pictures. I, you know, Jeremy and I don't know each other. So I was like, I apologize for all the dudes sending topless pics to you here, but wow. I guess it was just part of the deal. All right. So here we go. Uh, first one, fitness question two. Oh, we'll go trainer one first. 5'11", 245, 25% body fat, but he's jacked, not shredded. We figured out the not shredded part at 25% body fat. 29 years old. Uh, I don't have any certification, but I've listening to fitness books and podcasts for years. Recently, it becomes sort of a default among friends and family for advice on fitness and nutrition. This past year, I decided to formally offer personal training to three friends, family members, free of charge, only asking them to take before and after pics, um, which he sent us, and good results here. And then write a testimonial after. I've been uh, creating workouts for each, talking them through nutrition. We have weekly calls on progress. My thought is I'm basically creating an unpaid internship for myself. I'm about to finish the six-month period. My first client is going really well. Um, my question is, if I wanted to use these picks and testimonials to market myself and start charging, how would I go about this? Is there a basic certification I should obtain to pursue this as a side hustle? Uh, how do I know what's reasonable to charge? Uh, I mean, the first, I'll just go kind of piece by piece. Uh, you're, you're not, what is this title? Too thick to be a trainer, something like that. Uh, you're not. Like, we have friends in the space that are big. Like, one of my really good friends, uh, he's a great coach here in the Valley. He's 6'9", he's like 275. Like, the dude is, he's a tank. But he's not coaching people to be, like, you know, shredded to the bone. He's not coaching bikini stuff. And so it really depends what your audience is, right? Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't be, you know, a 300-pound bag of shit but you should be in, in decent kind of shape. Now, if you're a strength guy, it's a little bit different. So I always tell people, you know, your body is your business card. You know, whether you like it or not, people are going to judge you based off that. And if you're going to coach humans, what I would say is get lean or like leanish, whatever that is for that person, at least once, just so you, you know how hard it is before you give other people advice on how to do things. Like I would never tell people, hey, you know, get this shredded if I had never done it myself, because I know how bad it sucks. Like the leaner you get, the, the rougher that road is, there's sacrifice, there's dedication. And if you've never experienced it, it's just like you giving advice. It's like, I want someone who's a practitioner. I don't want to learn golf from the bum down the street. If Phil and Tiger would teach me, I think that's better because they've actually lived through it. So for, for, in terms of that, like you don't have to be ripped, but there's, a, I think like a certain baseline level of shape you should be in just to kind of lead from the front in terms of if you're going to coach clients. Okay, I went and uh, I went with the second one instead of the first one. So we'll go back to the first one I sent you. Uh, fitness advice for the everyman. Um, he says you guys are in the top of the class, fitness and discipline. I would not put myself uh, in Jeremy's class. So let's <laughs> let's start there. Very few of us listeners will ever be able to see half of the muscles that Mister Scott displays. 
Uh, I'm looking for a bit of advice for the everyman, especially in the after light of the COVID pandemic, um, disproportionately affected heavier and obese people. As a former small-time athlete, I used to be fit, two kids, 30s, injuries, shell of my former glory. I'm carrying around a tire's worth of extra weight, and it's not the best goal for me to post uh, so he doesn't do that. Can you speak to the power of just getting out and walking 30 minutes every other day as a starting point to better health? I hope that's just the start, but knowing that the journey can begin, the, the easy part might help some of us truly protect ourselves health-wise through a stronger immune system, stronger body. So he's basically like, can you sell us on the value of just getting out the door and getting started? Yeah, I mean, for most people, again, I'm a fitness person, so my advice might come off as a little uh, aggressive, but we work with with all walks of life here, people who are Ironman and then people who can barely tie their shoes. Walking is probably one of the most underrated things humans do. The average person, I think, per the Mayo Clinic walks like three to 4,000 steps a day which isn't a whole hell of a lot. And if you could get that up to, let's say like, I think 10,000 steps is like the magic number, which is about five miles per day. And it doesn't mean you go walk five miles, but overall through your day as you're just kind of moving through space. For most people that burns, let's say two to 3,500 calories per week, that alone can, can put you on a pace to be where you want to be essentially. And most people don't walk even an hour a day. Now you have all this time. You're talking about you know, a two to 4% investment of your entire day just to walk and move through space. And we're not doing that. I don't want to get super serious here, but there's people who are in hospitals or in wheelchairs. They would trade places with a normal person in a heartbeat just to be able to walk and jump and skip and move and do the basic stuff. So you just have to make it a priority. And for a lot of people, like they love sports and they love their escapism through TV. And I'm not saying don't watch Netflix or don't watch your favorite sports game. But instead of sitting on your ass for three hours, you could do like, what we coin like Netflix and stretch or like your Netflix and mobility and not for the whole game, but take 10 minutes and go through, you know, simple tissue work and just kind of move around. Or when you go listen to a podcast, instead of just, again, sitting down the entire time, walk around a little bit because it can a burn calories. And it's that, like we call it non-fitness activity that can make a huge difference. And if you're, you know, at a step beyond that for the average person we see, it depends how much time you can dedicate to working out every week. So if it's three workouts a week for 30 minutes a piece, we call it three by 52. For most people, that's ideal. And we're talking just body weight stuff at first, push-ups, squats. If you can do a pull-up variation, lunges, jumping jacks, the very basic things you did as probably a kid or when you were younger, that's a great place to start just to kind of get the ball rolling. Okay. That was good. You guys are motivated already. We're not even, we're not even through them all yet. Uh, okay. Okay, uh, this guy's 26'62195. I think a lot of people could relate to my issue. I'm trying to put on muscle and size at the same time as playing as much hoops as possible. I play in an organized men's league. Uh, he says he's Pascal Siakam with a better jumper. This guy plays a lot of hoops. Pick up hoops two to three other days a week plus the league. So that's four days. He says he's burning between 1,000 and 1,200 calories per hoop session, according to the Apple Watch. But he says, who knows how accurate this is. On top of playing hoops three to four times a week, I try lifting. So he's lifting three, four days a week. So basically, we're talking about this guy at like this calorie deficit here because he's also playing hoops a lot, which is important to him, but he's trying to put on muscle and he's also working out. So he's basically saying, look, I'm working out three, four days a week, but I'm playing all this hoops and I'm not putting any other muscle. I, I think this is this one's I mean, this guy's just putting a lot of work in. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, was he 26? Yeah, yeah, I wish I could still do that. I played basketball for an hour and a half a week ago. and I'm still struggling. Uh, so there's that. Uh, it'll catch up with you at 26, my friend, I promise you. But uh what I would say is if it's uh, you're, you're an ectomorph or a skinnier guy trying to gain size, tracking the, the calories and the macros. And when I say macros, proteins, carbs, and fats is what I'm talking about. Like on something like my fitness pal, 
super simple to do. It's like Google for food. And if you guys are confused, like we have a macro guide, you can message us, our team will send it out to you. It'll help the education piece. But just to track the calories for say maybe two weeks to see where you're at with your activity level. And if you're still either staying the same weight or losing weight, you can basically assess am I at a calorie deficit or surplus. Obviously, you're not gaining weight, so you're probably at maintenance level or a deficit. And you have to understand the numbers. And honestly, that's a ton of basketball. Like basketball is the essence of interval training, unless you're doing like the old man bullshit, like jogging three-point line to three-point line. But if you're really playing, like in guarding people, you could probably burn a thousand calories a clip in an hour if you're really, like you're the dude who hustles. And if you play three times a week, that's that's probably where you're at. I don't think you can eat enough to put on size. And when I say this, like you have to be in a calorie surplus. Like you have to eat more than you burn if you guys want to gain tissue. It doesn't matter if you lift heavy every single day. If you're not eating enough, you're not creating more tissue on the body. So therefore there can't be more muscle. It's like if I gave you 50 bricks and a year later you reorganize those bricks, they could look different, but you still have 50 bricks. It's like if you weigh 170 pounds and the next year it's 170, you're not any bigger. The composition can change, but you can't gain size. So I would say if you can play less basketball, that would probably be ideal. And definitely don't work out on the same days you play hoops because that's it's not sustainable. And I'm obviously you're young and it's amazing. But you're not going to do that when you're 35 and you have like a real job and kids and stuff. It's just like, it'll, it'll take more away from your life than it's going to give to you. So what I would suggest is if you have three, four days to lift, either three like total body lifts or two upper and two lower days, and then maybe play basketball, even if you can take out one day a week, two would probably be ideal. And when you're lifting, since you're already doing stuff that's so aerobic, like lifting slower, like control the movements down and kind of that hypertrophy range, which is to build muscle, let's say maybe six to 12 reps. So you can do six reps, but you can't do more than 12 and just really slow down, you know, your lifting because you're already getting so much aerobic work as it is. And again, track the macros, do that. And I think you can probably put on size. And as you get older, life is going to kick you in the nuts and you're going to gain weight as, as it happens. So I would tell you this, though, if you love basketball that much, don't stop. And then pick it back up because that's when everybody. So, I mean, this guy clearly isn't going to stop in three to four days a week right now would be the best thing ever. And it's just not going to happen um, for me. No. I know at this point. Uh, but I mean, I remember like that was the worst part of my lifting phase is that I was at a place that had like this amazing lunch run. And if I showed up around that time, like I get warmed up, I'd even take some pre-workout. I'd be all excited. And then I'd be like, oh, shit, they're running fives. And then it's like, forget leg day. It just wasn't going to happen. And then I would go in there and then I was wondering like why I wasn't doing any better with any of the lifting stuff. It's like, because every time you come in here and there's a run, you just play basketball instead. So I had to accept that I, that was my problem. You just got to make a choice, right? Like either you want to be the best, you know, 39 year old guy a lifetime, or you want to, you know, be ripped. It's, it's hard. It's really hard to do both. I guess it's possible, but I've, I've never met anybody who's mastered both yet. Okay, this one's a little more personal. I coached Jeremy uh, when he was in high school, so happy to see his hard-earned success. Ryan, with how much you've enjoyed playing pickup ball over the years, you should ask him about the KV tournament and how basketball played a role in his fitness. Oh, so yeah, this was just uh, this was just your old coach. Did you did this uh, ring a bell here or what? Oh no, yeah, no. I this is uh, I'll try to make it as quick as I can. Uh, Matt O'Brien is his name. Um, shout out to Ob wherever I think he's in like Shanghai right now. Something crazy. Uh, he was my assistant coach when I'm in high school and, uh, he's like, but like the young assistant, right? So I'm 17, he's probably 26. And so he helped me a lot. I wouldn't be here today without him and a lot of people like who played that role in my life. And I think everybody obviously needs people like this who believe in you when you're a little knucklehead idiot, which I definitely was and still am a little bit, but we would play, we have these one-on-one battles 
and uh, like over skill work, but then he'd be like, let's play. And I think selfishly he did it for his own workout. And I was clearly more athletic, could jump higher, faster, better first step, could shoot better. That's, I was just better than him. But one-on-one against a grown man is different. And so he would let me do my thing, kind of get tired out. He would do what the old dudes do. They'd get sweaty, take their shirt off, and then just back you down. And there's really nothing you could do. And then when I start to gas out, he'd start to say the shit like hustle beats talent and all those things. Um, And that's, you know, how him and I kind of built this relationship and he helped me. And it's like, you wish at those young ages, you were smarter, you know, like at 17, you know, you wish you knew what the 30 year olds do, because that's how the old guys beat you. They body you up, they hand check you, all those things. But to cut the story short, uh, the the KB tournament, not Valley is a place. It's about 30 dudes. uh, And we've been doing this tournament for since I was I got drafted when I was 15 years old so we do like a snake draft you have like about 30 guys like six captains it's a concrete court double rims chain nets uh and nobody knows uh the draft order only the captains will know it and I'm obviously I'm older now so like that became my role so when we pick teams we're the only ones who know and uh obviously we're all old and and washed up now so it's it's not quite the same but the court's a little bit smaller so we play four on four and obviously you'll have like one sub um, games two eleven, you know, ones and twos, obviously you win by two, we do a round robin, then there's double elimination. And, um, it, it's way bigger than basketball, but you, you're always that person. So even now, like when I go, my wife and I'll say, man, it's like 25 years we've been doing this shit. It's amazing. They get these people who live all over the country and still do it. And I'm one of the younger guys. So you can imagine how this starts to look over time. And about 10 of us are still in shape, but I always say to my wife, I'm like, you know what? My only goal is to not get hurt because if I get hurt, we're going to lose so much money and I'm going to be so miserable. And I say that every year. And then about the first 10 minutes, someone will follow me hard or something will happen. And I'm like, fuck it, dude. And you just go Mamba mode. And I try to just kill everybody all day. And literally now I can't walk for like four days afterwards. Like it's just, but if, if that's who you are, like if you, if you always took hero shots in your prime, you're going to take hero shots when you're 40. Like it never changes. And that's, it molded me to this day to be good at this business as well. When I was okay as a pickup player, I'd be like, you know what I want to do? Like I'd watch a Steve Nash game the night before. I'd be like, I want to like just do a ton of transition passes and I just want to like get other people involved and I want it. And the second you get out there, you're like, eh, whatever, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, you are who you, you are who you are yeah. as a basketball player, pretty much. Okay. A couple more here before we finish up. I like you had me until double rims though. I was like, oh, okay, I'm out. Oh, and then, then with the elements, when the wind blows, it gets <laughs> real, it gets real dice. Okay, our man's checking in here, 6'5", 295, 35 years old. Uh, 15 months ago, I weighed 403 pounds. Uh, this guy's sending some pics, man. He's putting some work in. Through a good amount of cardio, mostly spin bike, mountain bike, a little bit of running, walking, eating healthy, dropped over 100 pounds. I'd like to end up between 220, 240 with a little mass. I played basketball through high school at about 250. was a bit chunky. I am married, three kids, full-time job. So being efficient with workouts is very important. I don't have aspirations to be Mr. Olympia. Um, and then he also wanted to check in about headbands for bald dudes. He says he's a big time sweater and he shaved his head. So the sweat's getting in his face. I mean, look, you already know out of central casting, you're going to look at 300 pounds, bald sweatband. Guys are going to look at you a little bit differently. But again, worry about your own reps and um, you know, don't worry about the head. I'm offering up the headband part of this, Jeremy. So you can hit this guy with, He's through the, probably the toughest phase, but now this is even a more challenging one because he's trying to get the body toned up a little bit here, back down another, what, 40, uh, 60, 80 pounds. 
That's uh, well, yeah. Well, Tupac did wear a bandana tied backwards around his head, and he was bald. So if you can master that look, Pac great did call. It, and maybe you have a chance above the rim. Uh, but uh, respect, dude. You lost a hundred pounds. That's we've had a lot of people here do that. Uh, that is not easy to do. I would tell you first to stop and celebrate it and really appreciate how hard that is and how very few humans are willing, obviously, to do that. But you got to decide how much time you're going to train per week. Obviously, you have a real life. So, and again, like the three by 52, if it's three or four times a week for like half hour blocks, that's probably ideal. Um, total body workouts are probably the best. And again, you know, you're a heavier guy. So, no high impact stuff. Don't be jumping around doing stupid shit. We tell people here, like, can you do box jumps? You can, but you can also run around your house with scissors. You know, what's the point? It's not, you know, if you're going to get hurt, it's when. And so you have to be smart about what's the goal of the activity. So don't leave the earth uh, for a while, but just focus on the things that you can do. You know, and again, if it's bodyweight pushups, if it's bodyweight squats, lunges, those things. And if you're going to load it, you know, just obviously load it appropriately. And for you, if you want to marry them both together, like we call it like metabolic conditioning, where you take kind of the strength work and the hypertrophy work and the aerobic stuff. And we kind of mesh it together. If you're in a lifting pattern and you're a guy and you're going to go do your normal bench press, which is fine. I'm a fan of it. Maybe take just like 60 to maybe 90 seconds max in between the sets. So it's, we call it, you know, lift weights faster. So you're getting this aerobic work in because the pace of it, the movements are slow. So don't get confused. Like you're not benching super fast. The bench press is going to take what it takes. But your rest, literally, when you look at the clock, 60, 90 seconds, and you're going. And you have to have it on the timer. So if it's on your phone or a watch, because otherwise your mind's going to wander. You'll see a guy or a girl, three minutes goes by, and then it kind of goes to shit. That will keep you honest, and it's going to keep you on track. And for most people, that's probably the best thing to do. And if you still mix that with your shooting hoops or going for hikes or whatever you do, then I think that's probably a good mix. Um, You know, look, you don't need my uh, confirmation or anything, but... Just whenever I've tried to switch stuff up, that 60-second thing is the best. Now, granted, if you're strong, you kind of get annoyed because you're like, all right, I'm not lifting. But when you go through a workout and you're taking only 60 seconds in between exercises, and as you pointed out um, accurately, like don't lift fast, but the rest is quicker. It's amazing how different just the 30 seconds. The difference between a workout where I go 90 seconds in between and 60 seconds in between are like two completely different experiences. 100%. All right, cool. Um, before we let you go, uh, I have a couple rapid fire ones for you. Where are you on yeah. supplements? Uh, the, the basic stuff, obviously. Like, um, if I'm being completely honest, I'd be way richer um, if I lied more. So there's that uh, when it comes to the supplement industry. <laughs> but if I mean, just be completely transparent. Like, I've turned down a lot of money to say a lot of dumb shit, and I just don't care enough. Like, it's not what drives me to do this. Um, obviously we work with certain brands and things. If you guys want a free supplement guide, our team can give it to you, but it's only real stuff. I'm not like, I don't do pre-workouts. I, I drink coffee. That's my thing. I try to keep things as natural as possible. Like we have a greens product we work with like fish oils, uh, you know, vitamin D biotint, the natural things, probiotics, things are going to help your body and not the things like take this and gain, you know, 10 pounds of muscle in two weeks. That stuff's all bullshit, right? And most of you guys understand, like, it's a supplement to what you're already doing. And we see it, and this is for probably younger dudes. As you get older, you get a little bit smarter. We see people spend 500 bucks on supplements, yet they buy all the cheapest food, which makes zero sense to me. The sup It's just a supplement to what you're already doing. So food should be the base of what you guys do. And what you can't get through food, then you fill in the gaps. That's why, like, I like the greens we take, obviously, because I'm not going to eat 10 to 12 servings of fruits and vegetables a day. That's what's recommended. That's a lot of micronutrients to get in. 
And honestly, if you ate that many veggies, you'd be a fart monster. Your wife will not want to be around you. It's just, it's a bad look. So then you supplement around that with the things you can't do. If you have a hard time getting enough fish oil in, I think a probiotic for gut health is ideal. So the things that are going to make your body feel good. If you're talking performance, creatine, it's a real thing. It's And most brands are good. It's hard to kind of mess up creatine that can't help you guys with ATP. If you want to be stronger, those types of things. But I try to keep it to the things that have been studied in detail and the things that are going to help your body. So there's no real risk reward with it. What age um, does it become kind of stupid to be doing heavy squats? You know, people are going to flame me for this. Um, it really just depends like who you are and what you want to do. This is my two cents. How tall you are in your background makes a huge difference. It's like your friend that played football in college and was like super fit. And now he doesn't look like that at all. When that guy comes back to training, it's so much quicker. Age range training is real. So if you did something at 14, 15, 16, you're basically training like you're on natural steroids because you get a boner every 10 minutes and your body's just running like on high. For the guy who's just starting at 40 years old, he doesn't have the base built. He, he doesn't even understand what that is yet. So for anybody, I'm not a fan of back squatting for a lot of people. I just don't think spinal loading is ideal. If you own it, that's fine. And honestly, if you're six foot three, just the, you know, the biomechanics alone, you're probably not going to be a great back squatter. You can be good, but the great guys tend to not be built in, in those frames. So we tend to tell people split squats, like elevated rear foot Bulgarian split squats. If you can grab heavy load of those, I mean, grab a hundred pound dumbbell in each hand, rip me off 10 per leg, which most humans can't do. I think bang for your buck, there's a way bigger return because now it's unilateral training. We're training each leg independently as opposed to the bilateral training. And usually you have a dominant leg. If you play basketball like you did, your left leg is way stronger than your right. You always jump off of it. If you sprint, it's your push leg. So we're a fan of doing that. Things like walking lunges, reverse lunges, the independent leg stuff, we tend to find better. But And heavy is relative too, right? And I would say like, if you if you want to go heavy and maintain that, I'm not going to tell you not to. But anything under five reps, I think you start to get into the at least I do when I step into the squat rack, like, holy shit, I got to really focus here because if something bad happens, it's going to be really bad. Not just, I'm going to drop the weight. When you have the the workouts that, that I've referenced, and I've looked at a bunch of different things, um, the burnout factor on, on the arm stuff that you do, I imagine there have to be like some, you can't be doing that every week, right? Or is that just part of like a four week program that you kind of package in? Because I mean, it's, it's extensive. I mean, it's, it's the biggest to failure, maybe not to failure because you're telling us to go light, but that is, that's an intense, intense kind of strain on the body. Yeah, that program, I'm trying to remember when they asked me and I, and I love men's health, uh, but sometimes they ask for like really hard shit. And I, I'm like, we create these things and we do them. And I'm always like, God, how is, you know, Roger in Nebraska? ever going to be able to do this because I'm getting destroyed. And like, he has no chance. He works at bank of America. He's got six kids. He's fucked. Poor Roger. So yeah. So uh, no, that program, I wouldn't do it, you know, all year round. I tend to do stuff like I've talked about this in detail. I typically do two upper body days and two lower body days, like a strength day, hypertrophy day, same thing for upper and lower. Or if it's that action hero Jack program, I would throw that in for probably like, like six weeks or so like somewhere in there. And then you maybe take like a deload week if you need it or just do something lighter. And then you could either go back to it if you want to see how you progress or go to something different. I do love that protocol. It's more, I try to throw as much, you know, bro stuff in there as I can because I'm like, 
every dude's a, a bro deep down. Like everybody wants jacked arms and a rock six. That's my, you know, my best friend's fitness goal. He's like, Jeremy, nobody needs to squat. I'm like, dude, you got to squat buddy. But that's, that's what, how normal dudes think. So we sprinkle that stuff in, but it, it is a lot of volume to take on, especially if you're new or you haven't done it for a while. And so you do that for maybe like a six week segment. If you need to deload or switch it up, do something light like that week where you play basketball, you hike, you just, you do things that are fun in fitness and not such a grind and then come back to that program or something. All right, I got um, I got two other little things here. Why does it feel like somebody has a, a drill gun going behind my right kneecap now? Um, it's that's tough, man. Um, it really depends. Uh, I'll I'll share the story really fast. I uh, I did a hike here. We did the Grand Canyon, rim to rim to rim, which uh, is about fifty miles. And, uh, I hadn't hiked to be honest in probably like a whole year. Like everybody else was like practicing hiking. I'm like, ah, nah, man, I'm some Jeremy Scott fitness. I'll be fine. About 45 minutes in, I had had like had enough. And so that gets, lets you know where my mind was at. I mean, we got stuck on the other side and we're going to stay there for two nights, but the weather changes so much. Like you start off wearing like full compressions. By the time you're at the bottom, you're sweating your ass off. And by the time you come up the North Rim, it's snowing again, which is crazy. So you're changing clothes, you're doing this stuff. And that's the only thing I've done where you realize how insignificant you are as a human. Cause like the earth is going to go on whether you're here or not. And you're like, and my body's just beats of shit. And I'm like, well, you crawled your dumb ass down here. You got to crawl your ass up. And my leg on the back of it was so jacked. Yeah. It's called your popliteus, which is actually this thing behind your knee. And you have like a popliteal nerve back there and your semi tendons actually run down the back of your leg. Oftentimes like that can be it from either like over striding, which obviously I took like 8 trillion steps and that was the cause of it. It does take a long, it can heal soft tissue work, mobilize it if you go to professional. But if I'm just guessing based off my own personal experience of being an idiot, um, that's what it was for me. I know. I tried to, I tried to take shots last night. Um, cause I was like, all right, let me see, let me see where I'm at right now. And I was like, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm not there. I'm not going to list all my injuries for you. You foam roll your calves though? Uh, no, I don't. So when you're, so next time, and again, message me, I'll send you the video. When you're on the roller, like sit on your butt, obviously put the roller, like just above your Achilles and think of your calves, like steps of a ladder, like the, the lowest part of your calf is step one, step two, step three, step four. And you're going to put one leg on the roller and then cross your other leg on top of it. So there's a little bit of body weight and you're just going to go side to side. So like that cross fiber, cross tissue stretching, um, you're going to actually feel the muscles split in there at the bottom of, by towards your Achilles, it's not going to feel bad. When you get closer up your cab, you're going to be like, holy shit. And you're going to feel this pain that you've like never felt before. You're walking around with that all day long. It, it's, we, it's called what you tolerate is a, a module we teach these people here. And you don't even know it's there. And imagine how much you work the calves and use them, but you never massage them. We never stretch them. We never mobilize them. If you start to do that, oftentimes when you guys have pain, this is just a takeaway. If it's like tennis elbow, if you think it's your low back, if it's behind the knee, it's usually above or below the joint. And it's usually soft tissue that's super tight, that's pulling stuff out of place. And then it will hit a nerve and it pisses it off. And that's what you're feeling. It's been there for a long time. You just didn't notice it. And then all of a sudden it shows up and you're like, damn, I got a problem. That tennis elbow thing I had for a year and a half. Like it just wasn't, it was unbelievable. I did one day of forearms, which was stupid because I was like, you know, I don't really do any of that stuff enough, like the dumbbell stuff. And I was like, let me just do a little at the end of this workout. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And I went, ah, whatever, I'll be fine. I'll go away. Cause you know, when you're younger, you're like, okay, maybe 24, 48 hours. It was a fucking year and a half. And then the thing is, I was so used to it. Like the ultimate was trying to grab something from the top and you would just feel like somebody was sticking the top of your forearm with a needle. And 
then it was just, I was like, oh my God, you know what's gone? I was like, it's just gone. Like, I don't even remember the day it happened. I just remember days after the fact being like, wait, it's, it's gone now. And that's, uh, that's the best part of getting old is, is your injuries. You learn about them because they never go away. Uh, go ahead. And then the tennis elbow, man, it, it is no joke. I had it one time where it's weird because I could do pull-ups. but I could I do everything. Reach, well, I'd reach on my desk for like a piece of paper and a neutral <laughs> grip, and it would be the most painful thing ever. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And so usually it's either the forearm underneath it or the tricep on the backside. And if you massage that across, but even if you do it and you're diligent every day, probably took me a good four or five weeks before it was normal. I mean, it is painful. I bought all sorts of things. I was doing the the different like um, that rubber thing that you twist in opposite directions. Is no one's going to be able to watch this because we're not going to release this part of the video. But it's exactly that. It was it was the top of the forearm. And if I went to grab something, it would because at first I was like, all right, I won't do any upper body for a week. And then I was like, all right, I'll take another week off a little bit later. And then finally, I was just so annoyed because I go, well, the strength isn't actually being impacted all that much, and it just hurts. So you're like, I'm not going to stop. Like I already gave you a chance to go away. You're not going away. So now I'm just going to suck it up. All right, last one. Younger guys that you know want to be jacked, they're mad, they're not strong, they're watching everybody on Instagram put all this weight up, and I know it's really, really frustrating and all this stuff, especially like some of these girls are doing sumo squats and they're just crushing you, so there you go. Um, I believe in the old man strength thing. I remember the day, I've shared this story before, it just sort of kicked in one day on the bench. I don't know why, it just kind of happened. Do you believe in that? Like, Do you tell younger guys that ask you for questions because I felt it. I'm not saying it's for everyone, but do you believe that there's just sort of like after a couple of years, something just kind of kicks in where your body is all of a sudden stronger? hundred percent. It's, we talk, we call it man strength here. It's the time when probably when you were, I don't know, 17, 18, and you thought you could like beat your dad's ass. And then you like looked at his hands and you noticed his hands didn't look like your hands. Like he has man hands, like they're thicker, there's denser. And you looked at his face and you're like, man, my dad could probably take a couple punches to the face. I don't know if I can. It is a real thing for sure. Uh, and muscle maturity, honestly, for a lot of you guys, I don't have like the research in front of me. If I'm looking back from all the stuff we've ever read, I think like it doesn't even mature to like 35. So there's guys who are 22, like, well, I'm not that strong. And I'm like, we well, haven't put the, you haven't put the time in yet to be strong. You haven't learned like what your body can do. So you will get stronger as you get older and you'll understand the positions that you can be strong in. Cause there's guys who work for me you know, we hire these young dudes. They're all super great. Ton of energy, 24, 25, 26. I can still beat their ass in basically everything. Now they don't see me lay on the ground when they leave because I can't recover like they can. I go, but I'm so much stronger than they are because I've done it for so long. My muscles are mature. You know, I haven't lost the strength yet. So it does have, you just have to give it time and understand like <sighs> strength is relative. And there's friends of mine who can deadlift 700 pounds. I can't do that. Those days are gone for me. If I do, something's going to come detached that's supposed to be attached. And I don't want that to happen, but they can't, I can do lunges for an hour straight, which is about a mile. Like I could do lunges for an hour, just listening to a podcast and I'm fine. That's a different level of strength. So like who's stronger? Is it me or is it them? And you might not be the person where like your one rep max bench or squat is strong, but you might be super strong in that mid range. So you have like this muscular endurance that like another guy can't have. And over time, as you train, like you're going to get stronger. You just have to look at strength as not such this vertical vector. There's a lot of ways to be strong. And as you get older and train, it'll happen. And, and now because of technology and, and how we are as humans, a hundred years ago, we were dead at like 55. There's dudes who come in here. They look like, you know, guys, they look like Rocky four and they're 55 years old. It's insane to see it. So just be patient as, as a young kid in strength training and fitness, like anything in life, it's a, 
it's a crock pot, you guys. It's not a microwave. You're not going to be, you know, Rambo in, in two weeks. Give it a couple years. Thanks a lot, man. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, congrats to all the success. And uh, I, you know, look, we reached out and uh, you were you were right on it, man. So I hope you had a little bit of fun as well. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, I've had more people. I mean, obviously our Instagram is about 300 DMs a day. It's a lot. Um, I've never had more people message me and say, hey, listen to your podcast. Like at least I haven't got through them all, like a hundred people. And like my best friend, guys I played with in college, all kinds of dudes like, holy shit, you're going to be on this podcast. We love it. I'm like, Am I the only fucking asshole who doesn't listen to it? I'm like, Jesus Christ. So, yeah, we're doing all right over here. So uh, do you need to promote anything here on the way out? If you guys want any of the stuff that we talk about um, or the videos we share, we post up every single day. It's just Jeremy Scott Fitness on Instagram, Jeremy Scott Fitness podcast. We talk all things health, fitness, nutrition. Um, and if you want any of the stuff I mentioned, if it's any of our free guides, I'm happy to have our team send them out to you if it helps you guys in any small way. Oh, there you go. So hit him up. Um, we got an ally here and uh, I'm telling you right now, he has some of the best stuff out there. So. A lot of fun. Awesome, brother. Appreciate it. Okay, that's the podcast. I hope you guys had fun with that. Um, he's he's just awesome at what he does, man. And you guys didn't even get... I don't even know if we're going to do the breakout video. Kyle, dude was jacked, huh? Oh, yeah. Super jacked. Super jacked. Super jacked. There you go. Uh, all right. Cool. Um, so check it out. Subscribe and hit up uh, Jeremy Scott if you guys need any more fitness stuff. Uh, follow-ups. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.